welcome to Eat, Sleep, Move, a podcast devoted to helping you lose weight, get healthy, and have an amazing life. Here's your host, Wendy Wallace. Hello again, and welcome to episode eight of the Eat, Sleep, Move podcast. I have got an incredible, I mean, seriously, seriously incredible interview for you guys today. Weighing over 500 pounds, Hattie Montgomery felt as though that she was on the verge of dying. Besides the excess weight, she was carrying emotional hurt from enduring years of being bullied as an overweight teenager, as well as the aftermath of a sexual assault that took place in her 20s. It was the will to live that gave her the drive and determination to lose 300 pounds. Within this interview, Hattie explains what led her to get serious about weight loss, how it is that she lost the weight, and also the changes that she experienced along the way. Her words are profound and truly inspirational. Enjoy the interview. Before I ask you my first question, I want to tell you about an experience that I had uh, that came to mind when I was researching your story and uh, thinking of questions to ask you. Okay. So, so um, about two and a half years ago or so, uh, I went to visit my friend who lives in Nashville, and it had been I don't know, t- about 10 years since I've been on a plane. And at that time, I weighed 290 pounds. And I knew that airplane seats were small and I knew that people, some people needed seatbelt extensions. And I had that thought in my mind, but w- and when I got on the plane, um, I was really shocked to see just how small the seats were. And I hadn't bothered to ask for a seatbelt extension when I first got on the plane. So here I was, and I had, when I booked the flight, I um, had booked a seat at the far, like the way back at the back of the plane. And so when everybody was seated, I had to get up and walk all the way up to the front to get a seatbelt extension and then sit back down. And the whole time I was hanging out with my friend, I was thinking about that experience and being completely mortified and promising myself that when I would get back home, I was going to lose a ton of weight so that I would never have to experience that again. Because that was like, to me, it was like the biggest cliche of, you know, what you go through when you're that overweight. Uh-huh. So then I came back home and probably for, um, you know, a short time after that, I I tried to um, be more strict with my eating and and all of that stuff and be more mindful. But then shortly after, I went back into my cocoon and I went back to the habits that I knew, eating, eating while watching movies, uh, eating for pleasure, that kind of thing, not working out um, and just kind of getting back to my comfort zone. So the reason why I, um, well, and also too, I want to add to that. So then also too, you know, in the two and a half years since that experience, I've also gained like about 50 pounds as well. So that experience was shocking at that time. But when I went back to what was familiar to me, um, it seemed as though when I think about it, that, being in my cocoon and having that sense of, of security and familiarity and, and pleasure in the moment is more important to me than, um, than having those experiences of, you know, of overwhelm or dismay or, or being uncomfortable. So having said all of that, I think about when you were 500 pounds 
And I want to ask you what life was like for you then. And not just that, but also how you handled switching back and forth between those experiences that you also had when you went out into the world and you were overwhelmed by, you know, just the the limitations, for lack of a better word, that you had being that size, but then coming home or coming back into your own comfort zone and just wanting to be at peace and, and wanting that security. So I have to tell you that at my heaviest, life was pretty much non-existent. I mean, it got so severe that um, I couldn't do the normal everyday things. I couldn't hold a job. Um, I could barely walk. Um, I couldn't drive anymore because the seatbelt wouldn't fit around me. Um, you know, I just, I was really functioning as a recluse. And I think, I think what's most sad about people in our situation is, you know, we continue to go out and we're, it gets to the point where you're not even acknowledged. Like people would let the doors hit me. Cars wouldn't stop as I was walking by. Um, people would just make ugly, ugly comments if they did even recognize me. And, you know, the, the airplane story that you're talking about, before I stopped traveling, I was on an airplane once as well. And a lady came up and there was only one seat available and it was next to me. And this was before I got very, you know, just out of control heavy. I was heavy, but, you know, I still fit in the seat with my seatbelt extension on. And she stood there tapping her toe as she rang her call button. And she said to the stewardess, I will not sit next to that thing. So at that um. point, at that point, I wasn't even a person in her eyes. And I think that those experiences take people like us that are already, you know, walking this fine line trying to hold it together and keep our happy face on and we're okay and it just kind of breaks us breaks us down more and more and more and for me it finally got to a point where after my entire life of, you know, being bullied and when I was young the bullying was bad like, you know, kids would spit on me and they would throw me to the ground and you know, it was awful and just after after so many years of dealing with that and I'm sure you've probably experienced this too, it just gets to a point where you you think, Why am I gonna even leave the house? Like mm-hmm. I don't wanna go out and be comic relief to people because people would just blatantly laugh in my face. They weren't mm-hmm. even kind about it, you know. And it so it just got to a point where I thought, Well, why am I why am I leaving the house? And the only comfort that I had at the time was food. You know, it really was my best friend. You know, it I ate when I was sad and I ate when I was happy and I ate when I was mad. I just ate because at that point I didn't have anything else to wrap myself around except for my food. So I really, you know, it was really tough for me. And so it it really did get to a point where I just stopped leaving the house because I, I just couldn't cope anymore. You know, you talk about um, your experiences as a teenager in in high school. And, and I remember reading that, at the end of high school, you were around 300 pounds. Uh-huh. So I, th- I also thought about that time and how it's a time in our lives, I think, when um, who we see we're s- ourselves as, our identity, is really influenced and, and formed. So if you were going through that time when all of these people were giving you these messages um, about how horrible you seem to be and how flawed you seem to be. And that obviously, you know, stuck with you. I'm curious, how were you able to, over this time, let go of that identity that those people kind of formed for you to move away from that and begin to see yourself differently? Because we're going to be talking about like what you did in terms of eating and moving and 
and all of you know the technical stuff but i know that it's it's a mindset change and i guess yeah i mean yeah answer that question first so how did you begin to let go of that identity other people gave you and forge your own it was really tough because, you know, I, I did have good friends in high school. I missed out on a lot of experiences, but the friends I had around me, um, you know, were very kind. And then there was the group of people that was just awful in everyday life. And my experiences just, they they continued to be bad. And, you know, by my mid-20s, really, you know, some really heavy-duty stuff was going on and had happened, and I was just more and more lost. And I literally did get to the point where... You know, besides being a recluse, I was just prepared to die because I was so sad and I was in so much pain and living in fear and anxiety and had just decided that this was not for me. And you're absolutely right. It, you know, you can talk about all the technical things and we hear people talk all the time about, you know, I've tried all these diets and I've tried working out and I just can't make it happen. And I truly believe that there comes a point where something happens to you and it just completely changes your mindset. So what happened to me was, you know, I was I was fine. I knew I was going to die. I was even going so far as to tell people, when I do die, I would like to be cremated, and I would like you to take me back to the ocean because I have this, you know, spiritual connection to the water. You know, take me to my ocean, put me back where I belong, and, you know, play Christopher Cross sailing. Absolutely love that song. So I mm-hmm. had planned out what was going to happen. And then... Um, I just happened to be with my grandparents one day who I really, really, you know, loved. Um, I'm very close to all of my family, but, you know, I'm named after my grandmother, and I was always with my grandparents and just had a really special relationship with them. And my grandfather, you kind of have to put this, you know, gather this whole picture. So my grandfather had suffered a pretty severe stroke, and it had gotten to the point where he could hardly speak. And so when I would visit them, uh, you know, I would kind of just sit in the room with him and hold his hand and talk to him, and he usually wouldn't respond back. So I was there one day with him, and I was very sad, and I knew that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't see him very much longer, you know, one, because he was very ill, and two, because I knew my time was short. And he just happened to look at me that day and He said, you know, Hattie, I I love you, and I'm very proud of you, and I just want you to be happy. Now, you have to remember, he wasn't speaking that much, and for him to suddenly kind of look at me and say those words, and it was almost, you know, they seemed so simple, but the look on his face, it was almost like he was begging me not not to let myself die. And I just suddenly had this, you know, Uh, like a uh, light bulb went on for me. I've never been the person that would give up and let things beat me, you know? And I finally thought, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, I really don't want to die. I know that there's things that are supposed to happen and that I'm supposed to do, and this is not the path that I should be on. And that immediately changed my perspective. Just that really intense, simplistic reminder of you're important to me and I don't want you to be doing what you're doing, you know, just really changed my outlook. And then what happened is this intense will to live took over. And it's, it's almost, I can almost liken it to a mother trying to protect her child or Mm -hmm. a man trying to protect his wife. When that takes over, you are so unstoppable. It's unbelievable. It is this driving power within you, and 
when you set your mind and you harness that, you can just accomplish amazing things. And that's what happened for me. I mean, and it sounds very simple, but the right time was happening. The right people were around me and I had the right mindset and everything just fell in place immediately for me because it was truly my time to make this happen. So then what would you say to people? Because it's, there's a, there's a beautiful simplicity about it, but the other word that comes to my mind is rare in that oftentimes people do let themselves, um, not just with weight, but with other things as well, let themselves go to, to, until there was a crisis Uh and then they're kind of shaken up, um, to make change. But what happens, or what would you recommend to those people who, um, aren't in that situation? They're just kind of, you know, going, you know, through their life, knowing that they need to make a change, hoping that something like monumental like that will happen, that kind of overnight change, but doesn't. So, you know, it's really tough. And I think it's, I think it's even more tough for women because we're kind of taught that um, we're supposed to kind of stand in the background and be self-sacrificing and put other people's needs before ours. So it's tough for all people, but, you know, being a woman, I can speak to, you know, it's, it's tougher to kind of put your needs first. I immediately tell people, you know what, you don't want to get to the extreme that I was because it's scary and people that survive that, it's a lucky thing that happens. I look at my life every day as, a, as if I am very lucky to be alive. You know, so I tell people, don't let it get to that extreme. You have got to start to value yourself. You know, we have to look at ourselves and say, I am important and my life has meaning. We all have a purpose. We may not know what it is, but we're not just put here to kind of meander through life and just be ho-hum and make every day work. You know, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Life is supposed to be a journey and it's supposed to be something we learn and grow from. So, you know, I tell people your life has meaning, your life has purpose, you've got to value it, and most importantly, you have got to make yourself a priority. Like everybody around me knows that every day I go to the gym, specific time, I do my workouts, you can't call me, you can't text me, you can't email me, I'm not going to answer. That is my time. It's the one time during the day that I do not give up and I don't make plans and I don't sacrifice. It's always my time. So I always make that a priority. You see what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. our lives have got to be priority. If there's some, you know, even if it's not weight loss, even if you're trying to move or you're going through a, you know, relationship change or you want to leave the country, whatever it is, that needs to be the priority of your focus because focus and determination will really carry you in whatever you're trying to do. So you're right. It doesn't have to get to the extreme of, you know, life or death. But I think to be successful in anything that you're doing, you have to really, really, really make yourself a priority, value your life, and then just, you know, set your determination. You can do whatever you want to do. I firmly believe that if I can lose over 300 pounds and save my life, nothing is impossible. Okay, so take me back to that moment when you made that decision and things changed for you. Because what also came to mind when I when I read about that time in your life was then, so you have this, this awareness or this awakening. But then it's almost like, I don't know, if I were in that situation, I'd be like, the, my first my first reaction would kind of be, okay, this is awesome, I feel empowered. But then it would be like, oh, crap. Like, look, this is, you know, 300 pounds, this is going to be the overwhelming. And also, I think I would be scared as well, because I would be like, um, 
What what comes after this? What what do I do now? What if I waited too long? Um, what happens once I lose the weight? And I, I read also that that during your twenties that you had experienced a sexual assault, and I, I thought about that and I thought like as you lose weight or you know you and I think that a lot of women go through this as well who have been sexually abused that kind of thing they put on the weight so that they can be invisible. And then what happens when you lose the weight and you have a different energy and you look differently and you're not invisible anymore and that can be scary. So did you go through that phase um, once you, you know, had that awakening of being a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit scared? And if you did, how did you deal with that? So I absolutely did. And I still deal, you know, with fear and anxiety. And initially when I first started this, um, my first 30 days were really tough, you know, because it's like giving up cigarettes or alcohol or whatever, you know, and just doing it cold turkey. And I was terrified. You know, I thought, I don't know if I can do this. It was very extreme. And I even almost locked myself away for 30 days. I wouldn't go to the grocery store. My mother was doing the shopping for me. I couldn't be around the food because I was so fearful of failing because I knew I had this one opportunity to make this work. And if I couldn't make it work now, then it might be too late for me. So after I rolled through that first 30 days and really gave my body the time to adjust to the change and kind of get into this new routine, you know, all of that really fell into place for me. And I was really on track. What works really well for me is routine. I, everything is routine for me. I'm up at the same time every day. I go to the gym the same time every day. You know, I eat at the same time of day. I go to bed at the same time of day. And it may feel, seem a little boring, but it's the way that I function so that I know that I'm doing the things that I need to do. And that's one way that I cope with my fear. If I maintain a routine and I maintain focus and do the things that I need to do, it helps me cope with that fear because now even though I've lost all this weight, even though it's three years into my journey, you know, I have moments where I, I fear failing. My biggest fear is failing and going back to that person that I was. And I know, I know without a doubt that that would not happen, but you have to understand people, you know, people that lose such an extreme amount of weight, it's so hard to cope with. And then on top of that, the, um, the sexual assault was awful, uh, you know, and at the time when that was going on, it was a two-day ordeal, and I really thought I was going to die. And then when I didn't, you know, of course, I just went into my shell and was going to make it happen anyway. And now that I've lost all of this weight, you know, I am getting noticed, and I do have men that will speak to me and say hi, and it feels really good, but then I also become very scared because mm-hmm. I'm learning how to open up and trust and let people back in, which is, you know, a really hard thing to do. Um, but I think, I think part of the healing process and part of the success of losing the weight is putting all of that stuff in the past, you know, realizing, okay, there was some really bad stuff that happened. Um, it was really hard to deal with. It was really painful. It almost destroyed me, but it didn't. And I survived all of that. And now I have this amazing second chance and this life in front of me and the things that I want, you know, I want to be a wife. I want to be a mother. I have to, I have to be okay with letting people back in and trusting that I'm not going to be hurt again, you know, and that's hard for anybody in everyday life. You know, then you add in all of these, um, 
these things that have happened. So, you know, I still cope with that, but um, every day I just try and live in, in the moment and the now and, you know, leave that stuff in the past and, you know, just hope that my life and my future is just going to be amazing. And I, I'm confident that it is, but it, you know, you're right. It's still tough. So that leads to another question. I know this may seem a little bit flaky, but sometimes when I'm watching YouTube videos is an example of people who are trying to lose weight and you can see that they're carrying so much pain or regret or guilt or sadness. And I always think that if they could somehow get past it or manage it or, or come to terms with it or, or something that that would relieve a lot of their weight. It's kind of like an energetic weight or a spiritual weight. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering when, as you were losing your weight, did you find that the, the, um, the more you let go of the past, that the easier it like, as in your, it's almost like your body had a reaction to it and you let go of that emotional weight and then the physical weight came off easier or faster. Absolutely. It really did. I, you know, one of the, another key thing that I tell people is letting go. You know, we have things that happen to us all the time. You know, somebody runs into our car, you know, somebody spills their drink on us, even to the extreme things that we've talked about today. And at some point you just have to let it go and, you know, live in the moment and put those things where they belong. And it's really key in healing and going through a change. And so, yes, as I let go of that pain as I forgave the people that hurt me. It it really helped my success, and the weight did come off faster. And then, not only was that happening, but then I was noticing around me, okay, I have built this physical cocoon around me. Like, I had something insane, like 800 DVDs, most of which I had never even opened or watched, and, you know, a 1,000 CDs. Um, I went through all my Christmas ornaments, and I would have 10 of the same ornament. And it was crazy. And so... I was going through the physical change. I was, you know, going through this healing process of letting go, which was helping my weight loss. And then I started decluttering my life. And as I was doing that, then that was helping my weight loss. And so you start to notice your surroundings. Okay, I've cocooned myself in my weight and I've cocooned myself in my house and I don't let anybody in. And as you start breaking those shells and breaking those layers and, you know, letting those things go, it really does an amazing thing for your body. It's, it's so incredible. I, I can't even put it into words how much it will change you. Okay. So I also read that when you, you know, really began to lose weight, that you started a diet of 750 calories a day, doctor monitor diet with um, fruits, vegetables, and some protein. And I thought, wow, like 750 calories, that seems like such a low number, especially coming from probably you know, it was shortly before you started it when you were probably eating thousands of calories a day. Mm-hmm. So yeah. can you can you tell me about um, how you maybe transitioned to the 750 calories and how how that eating wave eating worked for you? Sure. So it was um, my this lady was a doctor for my grandparents. Um, and she was also a friend of mine. So when I had this moment of Oh, my gosh, I don't want to die. The first thing I did was say to her, you know, I don't want to die and I really need you to help me. And she had um, come across a diet that they were using 
um, giving to people in place of them having the bariatric surgery. Um, and it was, it's, it's called the HCG diet. Now, some people do the diet and they do the hormones and all that. She just gave me the meal plan that they had. And it was a very specific list of foods and how much you could have. And, you know, it required that you weigh and measure everything. And so I took that food list home. And um, the first thing that my mom did was she said, well, let's just clean out all the cupboards and the pantries and the refrigerator and let's just stock everything that you can have. Um, and so that was just an amazing thing to have. And so it really forced me kind of like, you know, very, very fast to jump into this diet. And like I said earlier, the first 30 days were so hard because I went from eating whatever I wanted to, however much I wanted to, to eating 750 calories weighing and measuring everything and writing down what I was eating because she wanted to know specifically what I was eating every day and how much liquid I was drinking and even the times that I was doing this. And so one of my, one of my favorite things is to show, my, show people that, you know, want to see is the first 20 days of my diet. And what's really funny is as I look back through it, you know, I've talked a lot about how routine really works for me. It's really funny to look back through my diet journal because it's very routine. And there's almost days where I eat the same thing because, again, for me, it was just about surviving this thing. And so the last thing I wanted to do was think about food. If I could just have a plan every day, you know, I would wake up and in the morning in my journal, I could have a serving of uh, two servings of vegetable a day and two servings of fruit a day and then my proteins and then you could have like, you know, a salad and, you know, some other choices. So the first thing I would do every day was I would get up and in my journal, I would say, okay, for my fruits today, I'm going to have, you know, strawberries and an apple and my vegetables, I'm going to have onions and mushrooms and I would chart out my day and that would be done and I wouldn't have to think about my food anymore. You know, it was almost like it was done, it was handled, and all I had to do was at a specific time sit down and eat my food. Because I, when you give, you know, when you give up something, the last thing that you want to do is to be exposed to it in such an extreme measure or even think about it. So um, I really had to be really dedicated about writing it down and just plotting out my day and just following through for, sorry, following through with it. And then after 30 days, your body kind of reprograms you know, it kind of gets with the new program and you realize, okay, I'm not going to bed angry because I'm so hungry. And, you know, you kind of fall into a routine and it just starts to become habit. You know, that's the key with anything, just giving yourself the time to make the change so that it becomes a habit. Because once it becomes a habit, you're doing it without thinking. Yeah, that that actually leads to my next question. I was curious about that because, um, I know, like, from my own experience that, like, I juice a lot and I do a lot of green smoothies. Mm -hmm. And I know that my body is at a point right now where it's craving those nutrients more so than, like, cheeseburgers or ice cream or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. mentally, I still want that stuff. And I have, I can very, see very clearly and consciously the difference between what my body is is truly craving and what my mind wants. And so even though you stocked up on the food that you wanted, and even though you got yourself into a routine, and, um, and that worked for you, I'm still wondering about how it is that you dealt with possible thoughts of, 
well, you know what, you know, I've done so well for 10 days. Let me go out and have a pizza. Or, you know, maybe I can just like start again Monday. Or, you know, those bargains and those promises that mm-hmm. that we tend to make to ourselves. Um, how did you get over that? And also, again, those mental cravings, because you had mentioned that, um, that food was a comfort thing for you. Mm-hmm. So during those 30 days, like you didn't have that comfort. And I would imagine that again, mentally, that there were times when you would maybe like, let's say even, for example, you were watching your favorite TV show or something and you're like, oh, you know, every time I watch the show, I had fries and I just miss those fries. And, you know, and then it becomes like this mental thing and you start obsessing about fries. How did you get past all of that mental clutter? So the first thing that I did again was I... I really stayed, and I I actually was very lucky. I had, you know, my mom that was with me that really took care of me, and she took care of me before I even started doing this diet because it really got to a point where I couldn't care for myself. And so those first 30 days, I was able to just be at home. You know, I wasn't working. I couldn't work at that point, um, and it actually... You know, I, I actually, it took several months for me to be able to get to a point where I could get it, you know, hold a job again. And so one of the first things that I have to acknowledge is that it was probably easier for me because I could stay home. You know, I wasn't going out. I wasn't dealing with the stress of a job and all of the outside things that kind of tend to derail people. Um, you know, so I didn't have to go to the store and face the food and drive by the McDonald's and the things that I had eaten before. Now, I did have those cravings and I spent a lot of time angry and a lot of time crying because not only was I missing that food um, that I thought that I wanted, but I had literally lost my comfort. And so it was really forcing me to deal with how I truly felt. You know, I couldn't mask those feelings anymore. And so I spent a lot of time very sad and very angry. Um, I never did the bargain thing. You know, uh, as I progressed into my diet and I had lost a lot of weight, then I would start to give myself, you know, a, a reward. Like I love frozen yogurt and there's a frozen yogurt place near my house. And every once in a while, I'll give myself a treat, but I make myself walk there. And it's about two miles from my house. So I walk there, get my yogurt, and walk home. So I've had my treat, but I had to really work for it, you know. And I don't do it every day. So in the beginning, I just had this extreme desire to live. You know, it's it's a very different situation. It's It's hard to compare it to somebody that, you know, needs to lose 50, 60, 70 pounds comparing to somebody that has to lose weight so that they don't die. Um, And so my will to live really took over. So I wasn't dealing with those, okay, well, I got through two weeks, so let me just go have a pizza moment. You know, Mm -hmm. I was really, what I was dealing with was like mourning the loss of a best friend. I was in mourning for 30 days. It was sad and just so emotional for me. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time watching TV because I knew that there would be food ads on there. Mm -hmm. And the first 30 days also was around my birthday. So I had to go through a birthday, you know, on Mm -hmm. this extreme diet where I couldn't have that chocolate cake that I loved. So it was more emotional for me um, rather than, you know, the food kind of calling me and, well, let me just go grab a hamburger kind of thing. Okay. I want to ask you a two-part question about goal setting. Um, First thing is how did you sort of plot and plan everything out? Because, you know, 
everybody has their own own way of of setting goals and and things that motivate them. And when you're dealing with having to lose so much weight, how are you able to kind of wrap your brain around that and and set those goals for yourself? It's really tough because I didn't know I didn't have any standards. You know, I didn't know what I should expect to lose. Um, I, I I didn't I didn't really know. All I knew was that. I had to, I had to make something happen. You know, I had to get my blood pressure down and I had to, you know, lose enough weight so I didn't have apnea and I could actually sleep in a bed again. And, you know, I had such severe edema in my legs. I think you probably read in the story about when I cut my leg the one time and liquid came out as opposed to blood. So I didn't, I didn't really, it's a tough question, Wendy, because I didn't really have anything to kind of measure against. So my goal each week was just, you know, I thought, well, maybe a normal goal was, you know, a couple of pounds a week. Well, in the beginning, you know, because I was shedding lots of water, I had so much fluid in my body. So in the beginning, I was losing about eight pounds a week. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. My goal was like two or three pounds a week, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so really, the goals that I set in the beginning were just to stay on track, um, eat the foods that I had assigned to me and just, you know, be successful with that um, as opposed to, well, I need to lose X amount of pounds in X amount of days. My goals were more geared toward following the diet, sticking on the plan and making that work for me. Yeah. The thing that I really admire about your experience is that obviously the, the primary focus was health. But having said that, though, I have to wonder in terms of goals, oftentimes when people are, are trying to lose weight, for many people at some point in their life that they were thinner. And oftentimes people will have a goal or part of their goal will be to get back to what they once were, whether it be thin or more athletic or be able to fit into certain clothes, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But for you, having been heavy, you know, um, for all, you know, for most of your life, did you ever, like, how did, I guess, hmm, how did you create a vision for yourself of the person that you potentially saw yourself becoming when you didn't have any past experience to fall back on to create that vision? That's such a great question. I frequently dreamed of this person, of who I thought that I should be. As I was going, as I was growing up and, you know, high school, I was already very heavy, but I would still dream about this person and I could even visualize this person. Um, I didn't know how much I was supposed to weigh. The things that I knew that I wanted and how I set my goals was I wanted to be, I always wanted to be athletic. The thing, you know, I would watch people playing tennis or running or skiing or, you know, whatever. And I would think, gosh, I really want to be one of those people. And of course, I physically couldn't do it, but then nobody, you know, coaches, teachers, you know, people in school, nobody ever encouraged that behavior anyway. And so it just kind of, you know, again, kind of tears you down little by little and you think, well, I'll never be that person. So I had this great visual um, and that was sort of what I mentally thought of each day as I was working on this diet. You know, I knew that at some point I wanted to be this person Um you know, you kind of go along and you're finally told, well, for your height, you should weigh, you know, about 160. So, okay, you eventually you set that goal. But in the beginning, I wanted to be somebody that could function. I wanted to be able to, you know, walk to the bathroom without being out of breath. And I wanted to be what was considered normal. I wanted to be able to shop in a clothing store without having, 
do you ever have you ever noticed how they stick the plus size section like in the very deep dark back corner as if you have to do this walk of shame to get there right right yeah it's right. awful i wanted to be able to shop in the normal section and i wanted you know i wanted to feel like i was part of society again so i had these very broad goals in the beginning um i just really wanted to live but then those goals kind of grew into you know, when I could exercise more and I found myself being more and more active, then my goal became, you know, I really want to be this athletic, athletic, sorry, athletic person that I have visualized for my whole life. Um, and then, you know, you finally get to a point where, um, you know, they start telling you, well, you're, you know, you're close and your goal weight is blah. And so then you start working toward that goal. Mm. Okay. So before we actually talk about exercising, I had one final uh, food related question for you in that, Tell me, so you were doing the 750 calories a day. What happened after that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that you didn't has you haven't stuck with that for the past three years. Tell me yeah. how things progressed and what your relationship with food is like today. So, I really stuck with that 750 calories for about the first year, um, and that was really that year just had to happen. You know, I had to kind of deprogram myself, get off all the the processed foods I was eating and all the refined carbs and sugars that were in my diet and just kind of reprogram my brain. And the second year is when I started um, being more and more active. And so then I started researching, you know, supplements that I could take and um, really good um, protein shakes that I could use and protein bars that I could kind of supplement my meals Um, And I was still eating, my focus has always been low glycemic eating, Um, not because I was ever diabetic, but I just have a very interesting uh, sensitivity to carbs. They just don't agree with me and it it will instantly put weight back on me. So I've always eaten very low glycemic. So year two, I'm more active. I'm starting to eat more normally. Um, My food balanced out at about, you know, 1,000 to 1,200 calories in year two. So I was adding some things back into my diet and doing like protein shakes and protein bars and that kind of stuff. And then the third year, um, I was working out crazy at the gym with my personal trainer and uh, was still doing, you know, the supplements, protein bars, protein shakes, but then was introducing, you know, um, more regular food back into my diet, like lots of veggies and egg whites. Um, At that time, I was even um, reintroducing some oatmeal into my diet. And it just turned out that, you know, carbs like that for me just don't work very well. So it's a really, it's an ongoing process for me. And I really think it's an ongoing process for everybody. Um, Things are, they're kind of mass marketed to us as if we're all the same people. Mm -hmm. I think it's really key to find good products um, that work for you and you know, you, you don't, we all, there's general rules that we should all follow, but it's really key um, to find what works for you. You know, what works for me is not necessarily going to work for the next person, but it was what worked for me. So, and also realizing that it's an ongoing, you know, learning and growing process. I mean, I'm always looking at my food and making adjustments and figuring out what I can do and what I can add. You know, I experiment with adding stuff back in and taking stuff back out. And when I was, you know, 
actually when I was adding some carbs back into my diet, I, you know, put 17 pounds back on and I had this meltdown of, oh my gosh, this can't happen. And so then I got very strict again with taking those back out and refocusing on just doing, you know, my low glycemic protein shakes and bars and meals. And in five weeks, I dropped those 17 pounds right back off, you know, Yeah, so I think it's really key to be really in tune with your body. It's going to tell you what works for you, and you're going to see the results very quickly, whether they're good results or bad results. And it's all about being tuned in and listening and then making the adjustments as you see those things happening. I mean, it's, it's, the clear answer is never going to be there. You know, it's always kind of a growing learning process, and you just have to be willing to stay, stay in the game, you know, and keep figuring it out. So as someone who had the yearning to be athletic and to move and to challenge your body, tell me about what it was like to begin exercising. It was so crazy. I wish that you could see me in person because I love demonstrating to people how it started for me. So in the beginning, I started walking and I'm talking, I could do a 10 minute walk and it was very, very slow and I was very out of breath by the time I could get back home. And it would be, you know, I would walk and I would think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can even make it back home now. And so in the first year, really all I did was walk and I just increased my walking time and, you know, I would walk more and try and walk farther. And by the end of the year, I could, you know, I could walk as long as I wanted to and I could walk at a pretty good pace. And so then when that happened, then I started really craving more activity. And I especially craved, I especially craved the activity that I was told I couldn't do as I was growing up. For instance, I always wanted to play tennis. And I was told, no, you can't play tennis because you're fat. Fat people can't play tennis, Hattie. And so the first thing I did was I, uh, I have a friend that, you know, plays on in, the, in a tennis league. And I said to him, if I get a, a pass to the tennis courts, you know, can you start working with me and just show me how to, you know, play some tennis. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So we started going playing tennis a couple of times a week. And it turns out that I'm, you know, a kind of a goofy tennis player and it didn't work for me, but (laughs) at least, at least I did it, you know, and then, and then I started thinking, you know, yoga looks really amazing. And so I started taking some yoga classes and at first I would go to the class and I would think, oh my gosh, I'm going to look so silly and people are going to be staring at me. And yoga is the greatest experience because people are so wrapped up into their own, you know, happy place that they, they don't care what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's real, mm-hmm. I encourage everybody to do yoga. It's such an amazing, peaceful, recentering thing. It's just really awesome. So I got into that. And then, you know, I had always had a love affair with water. I'm just very, I'm a, just such an amazing connection to water. And I love being outside. And so I thought, you know, I always wanted to be like this little triathlete person. And so I started thinking, oh, well, I wonder if I can even jog. So I slowly started jogging and then that grew, you know, to where I could do it more and more and more. And then this year, you know, well, before we get to this year, so then I'm doing all of this and it's just kind of getting to a point where I don't know what else to do and I'm kind of getting bored with my exercise, which is the worst thing that can happen. You know, I hate to get bored. And so that's when I went and joined the gym and, um, Uh, When I joined the gym, then I met with um, my personal trainer, Ray, who kind of did like this health assessment for me and recommended that I go into personal training. And I'm somebody that has to kind of sit back and analyze and see where things are and decide if that's the best choice for me. Well, I finally decided to, you know, buy into personal training. And I've been with him now for 18 months, and I cannot tell you how much that has changed my life because... Mm -hmm. 
I had so much activity going on. Um, but when I, when I started working out with him, it was like, I was this little wimpy noodle that <laughs> couldn't work out because he was introducing me to the resistance world, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we have just, it's just been amazing. Like this balance that I've created and the strengths that I now have, you know, I recently did, um, an indoor triathlon at my gym. And the thing that I was most impressed about was my legs never tired on, never, never gave out on me. I never, they never got tired, you know? So I did this 10 minute swim and then I did a 30 minute bike and then a 20 minute run. And I was exhausted after it was all over, but my legs weren't. And so I could really tell, wow, this time that I spent with Ray has paid off so much. And so now what's happened to me is that love affair that I used to have with food and that comfort that I used to get from my food, I now get from exercise, which is such Mm. an amazing gift because when I feel stressed or anxious or sad or something happens that, you know, tries to derail me off my program, my brain immediately says, let's go exercise. And I just feel better. So I never have that moment where I need to go run to food. You know, I still love food. I still, you know, now after I've gone through this change every once in a while, like I talked about earlier, earlier, I'll give myself that give and go grab some yogurt, but it's not like I have to have it to make me feel better. I have something that's taken its place and that's just such an amazing thing. So I'm, I'm wondering if your motivation for working out was, was the same as it was for changing your eating and that it was health, primarily health related, because I, I'm wondering about like, you know, again, the things that would go through someone's mind mentally. I know like for me as an example, I think um, like, let's say, you know, every time I get on the treadmill after not working out for a long time, I find myself kind of beating myself up a little bit because I can't walk as fast as I used to um, on the treadmill and I have it takes a bit of time to work myself up. Or I think back to, let's say, workout DVDs that I used to be able to do effortlessly that I can't do anymore. And um, it's it doesn't necessarily stop me from working out, but it but it definitely it, it just... Uh, it just, you know, doesn't, it's, it's not a positive feeling. So I think about like using myself as an example, or I think about like, oftentimes I think it would be human nature that when you're carrying so much excess weight and it's difficult to walk 10 minutes and, and you remember how difficult it is that you again, talk yourself out of maybe taking the day off or, you know, so what was it that continually got you out the door and got you walking, but not only that, but also then sparked you to begin to really challenge yourself and push yourself to see what you were capable of doing. So in the beginning, it really was this whole exercise, you know, diet motivation really was that will to live. And then on top of it, I had, um, I think you've seen pictures in the articles, my dog bear. Um, at the time he was three years old and, um, he would never let a day go by without us walking. I really mm-hmm. <laughs> encourage people that are looking for some kind of motivation to get out and walk to have a dog because mm-hmm. they will get you outside walking. But really in the beginning, it really was that motivation of I have to do this because I have to make these changes so that I can live. And then again, after you give your body time to adapt to a new thing, it's going to then start asking you to keep doing it. And I think one of the biggest things, now I'm not saying that it's been perfect and, you know, I went out every day without fail. There were days that I didn't go and I did have those feelings of, oh, see, you're just going to mess up and it's not going to work out right and you're going to screw this up. And I think one of the most important lessons that I learned through all of this was that 
on the days that you hit those those bumps or you fall off the wagon, however people want to call it, or you mess up, whatever happens, the key is to not allow that guilt in. You know, it's all about realizing, okay, uh, I had a bad day today, but tomorrow is another day and I need to pick up right there, not a week from now, not just throw in the towel and say, well, I screwed up, so there's no hope for me, but picking up and starting back over and doing it without the guilt and without the blame and without saying, well, we're bad people because we, you know, messed up, Um, you know, so I I think that's really key. And then, of course, as I grew and was able to do more, of course, then it was very exciting for me. You know, when your body changes enough that you can do things that you only dreamed about doing, it's really exciting. And it really motivates you to try. You know, I was always the person that wouldn't try something because I didn't want to look stupid and I didn't want to stick out. And now I am completely opposite. I will try anything. And I don't care if I look silly doing it because I say to people, do you realize three years ago that I was pretty much going to be dead at the age of 31 and now I'm 34 years old? So if you want to laugh at me trying to do this, laugh all you want because I am excited that I even have the ability to try this. You know, So I think it really gets to that point where that excitement takes over because you, you realize, wow, I dreamed of doing this for so long and look, I can do it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's really such a great thing that happens. So I wanted to ask you about sleep because it's the eat, sleep, move podcast, but, but beyond sleep about self care. But you know, what, what comes to mind is what I'm curious about the time when you had mentioned previously that it, like meant that mentally when you were at your heaviest, that you were like prepared to die. Mm-hmm. What I also have to wonder about was is two things. One, um, do you think when you look back that maybe part of, of your feelings and, and the emotion that you were going through was also um, influenced by the reaction your body was having to food, but also maybe that you weren't getting great sleep. And so your mind, you were maybe exhausted and your mind wasn't like functioning clearly. And I want you to comment on that and then and talk about your sleep these days and that how and how that's impacted your life as well. I think that's really such a great thing to bring up because at that time I had severe apnea. Um, I, I had to go out and buy a recliner to sleep in because I could no longer lay, lay sleeping down on the bed. Um, and it got to the point where even in the recliner, I was having such poor sleep that during the day I would just randomly fall asleep because I was so exhausted. And everybody knows that when you get to that point of exhaustion, that it does affect you mentally as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so you do start having these weird random thoughts, even though, I, you know, I'm, I know that death was very real for me. I think it was probably um, that kind of sense of, oh, I'm dying right now was kind of uh, heightened by the lack of sleep because, yes, I I was getting very, very little sleep. And it was just um, physically and emotionally just exhausting. And now, again, I go back to routine with everything. Now I get seven to eight hours of sleep every night without fail. I go to bed every night between 10 and 11 o'clock and I get up every morning at six in the morning. And what's really funny is again, when you get into that routine, into that habit, your body falls into the, it, 
it will follow you. If you let your body do the right thing and you get into these habits, your body's going to fall in line and just march along right with you. Because at 10 o'clock at night, I'm yawning, Bear's already heading off to the bedroom, and we all know it's time to go to bed, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And then I frequently wake up, you know, five minutes before the alarm goes off because everybody knows it's time to wake up, you know? So, again, what works for me and what I encourage other people to try is to just get into these habits, you know, get into the habit every day of going to bed and waking up at the same time so you get that good amount of sleep. Get into the habit of, you know, packing your foods and planning for the day what you're going to eat so that you're prepared and you're not tempted when you're driving by the McDonald's or, oh, I don't have anything with me, so let me just go grab something. And, you know, get into the habit of every day doing some kind of activity. I'm not saying you have to go to the gym and be a, you know, a gym crazy person like I am, but every day you can go out and walk or take the steps at work. Everything that you hear that people talk about, getting into those habits really, really help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next question that I have for you is about balance, like life balance. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought of this question while we were talking. And so I'm going to tell you a- another like experience from my life. Um, so you know, throughout my life, I, you know, my weight has gone up and down and, and um, it's only been in the last, let's say, six years that I've been over 300 pounds. And previous to that, I always knew that I had to lose weight. But um, I kind of, you know, lived my own kind of simple life and, um, you know, hung out with the same people, did the same things and, and focused primarily on my work and, and intellectual pursuits, if you will. Um, I never had any health issues or anything like that. So it, it wasn't a priority for me. But then I, I moved and I gained a ton of weight. And then shortly after I moved, I met this guy who became my best friend. And we're physically, we're in total opposite because I'm 5'2 and, you know, over 300 pounds and he's 6'3 and 180 and he goes to the gym almost every day and he's been doing yoga for 10 years. So we're dramatically different. And when he, and when we met, he became incredibly concerned about my, my weight and then, and would bring it up a lot. And we talk about it a lot. And um, then suddenly my weight became a big part of my, not just my identity. I guess you could say that I became more aware of it, but it became a big part of my identity where it wasn't so much before, but also it became the thing that I think about all the time, all the time. So I'm curious about with you over the past three years or even previous um, about, uh, about how weight has played such a big role in your life and how it is that you have been able to um, have a more balanced life and to be you know, not just the person who was 500 pounds or the woman who lost 300 pounds or the woman who has to constantly be thinking about food or working out and that you've kind of put it all in a perspective so that you can have a more full life and not not just think about your weight all the time. I think it's so key to have a really great support group around you. Um, I did have those people around me that, you know, it was always wait, 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 talking about the weight and you got to do something about your weight. And, you know, at that point, 
you know, I'm sure it, you might have experienced this too. It just becomes so overwhelming and you're thinking, why can't people just leave me alone? And mm. it almost has a reverse effect on you, you know, because it's like people are constantly picking at you about your weight and you've got to do something. And you know that they must be coming from a place of concern, but it's like, don't you think I realize that my weight, you know, so it's just very overwhelming. And now I have just a really amazing group of people around me and especially, um, I have a very, very good friend that I've met um, within the last uh, two years, and she's the first female that I've had around me in a long time, and I can just be with her, and, you know, we've gone to the coast a few times together, and I go to her house and play cards with she and her husband, and we watch movies together, and we get our toes done once a month together, and it's just really time away where... I can laugh and have fun and we don't talk about my weight and, you know, we don't talk about, you know, you're the girl who lost 300 plus pounds or any of it. It's just a time to step back out of that and to be real. And I think that's so important because it's so easy, especially as you're losing weight. So when I was first able to get on a real scale to weigh, I, it was almost dangerous for me because I almost became obsessive about my weight at that point. Like I was weighing every day and I finally had to take a step back and go, okay, this is not healthy either. You know, we can't go from this extreme of, you know, being so morbidly obese to this extreme of I'm going to weigh every day, you know, so balance is really a huge thing. And I think that you find your balance with the people that you have around you. It's important to have the times just to be you and to celebrate who you are, not to be talking about, well, you're the poor thing that needs to lose weight or you're the, you're the great person that, you know, lost all this weight and you're going to save all these people. Those things are amazing, you know, and I am so honored to be able to talk to people and to share my story because, you know, the one thing that I promised myself was that with my success, I would reach out to as many people as I could. Anybody that wanted to hear my story, I would tell it because all I want to do is to spread this message that, one, it's never too late, and two, you know, with uh, hope and courage and determination, you can save your life, you know, or change your life. So those things are amazing, but you do need to have downtime, and you need to have kind of some, you know, time for yourself. So on Sundays, I'm a part of this women's support group, um, and it's a, a phone call that we have together, and we just talk about, you know, things that, you know, are around us in everyday lives, and are we, you know, getting the right amount of sleep, and, you know, do people need somebody to talk to, and, you know, it takes the focus off just me, and it kind of is a support group for a bunch of women, and so between that and between my friends and, you know, just having some, you know, kind of fun Hattie time, it provides this really great balance to me so that when I am talking about my story and my change and all of this, it's not just all that all the time, 24-7, because that really does, um, I mean, it can weigh you down, especially if you're somebody looking to make a change now, you know, you do have to have that balance and, you know, that time away where it's not just, oh my gosh, I have to think about my weight all the time. Okay, so you, throughout this interview, I mean, you just gave people advice about the support. You've mentioned routine. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you would give as advice to someone who has 100 or more pounds to lose? I would just say, you know, never lose hope. It is so, there are so many things out there that are going to try to, you know, derail you or make you feel bad about yourself. And we all know how cruel people can be and, you know, that they're 
things that are not nice around us. And all, all I can say is that you have, again, got to make yourself priority. Never lose that hope. You know, you have, everybody has a purpose and a meaning and our lives are valuable and we all deserve to be here and we all deserve to live a happy and healthy life. And I think that if you can just find that courage to be determined to stay on that positive path of forward momentum, you know, to change your life that, you know, you can do amazing things. So just, you know, find that strength and find that courage and keep that hope within you and know that your life is special. You know, we're not just Joe Blow who has no purpose in life. We really are here for a special reason. And it's exciting when you find that purpose. It really, it's just amazing. Okay, second last question. I'm kind of curious, what has it been like for you to go from, you know, kind of bring it full circle, this conversation in the sense of that uh, we talked about when you were in high school and the bullying and the negative attention that you got to now here you are getting tons of positive attention, both because of your weight loss, but just even people noticing you and that sort of thing. Um, What has that been like for you? It's, uh, you have such great questions, Wendy. I'm having so much fun with this. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, my first reaction sometimes is, are they talking to me? You know, I, I'm still that person that will walk by a mirror or a glass door and will say, excuse me, to the reflection, not realizing that it's me. Mm-hmm. And so that positive um, reaction is, is strange sometimes. I mean, it feels really good. But my reaction is generally, I don't know if they're talking to me or, you know, I start to look around like, is there somebody else around me? Because they can't be talking about me, really. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really nice. And again, it goes, for me, this is the best way I can describe it to people. This has been a three-year change that I've gone through. And so in lots of ways, it's almost as if I'm a three-year-old. I'm starting over and I'm learning how to function and react and be a part of society. And I have this very childlike quality about me because, you know, I, things are very new again. You know, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's, it's really kind of an interesting perspective to have. So it's great to hear, but then there's times where I, you know, I still question, is that, you know, is that really for me kind of deal? So. Gotcha. Okay, so final question. Tell me about your future plans in terms of, you know, you've still got some some weight to lose. So talk, let's talk about that. But also, in terms of, um, I'm going to guess that that when you began this three years ago, that maybe, or maybe it was maybe it was part of your vision to be able to be doing interviews and talking to people and being a role model and an inspiration for people. So where are you going to take that aspect as well? So um, as far as the weight that I have left to lose, you know, I still have weight left to lose and I have um, some excess skin that I have to deal with. So I'm kind of in this phase where um, I'm, you know, still losing the weight. It comes off very slow at this point. You know, in the beginning when it's falling off, it's very exciting. And then you kind of get near the end where you, you just have, you know, not a lot left to lose, and then it's kind of trickling off slowly. And, you know, that's another time where you have to really keep your focus and determination because it's very easy to get frustrated and think, well, why, am I, why have I only lost one pound this week or two pounds this week, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's still there to take care of. Um, and then, you know, I um, am looking into, you know, options that I have for the loose skin just, you know, to see how I deal with that next kind of um, 
part of my journey. As far as, you know, where I want to take this um, to help other people, I have always had um, a desire to to speak and um, write, uh, anything that I could do to help people. So I've had a few um, speaking engagements. Of course, I've written a few articles that have been online and then recently finished up a um, video shoot with AOL that um, should be um, live on the Internet in a few weeks, and uh, they're calling that the 100-plus club, and so I'm really excited to be part of that. And then I would really love, um, I'm starting to do some research about writing a book. Um, You know, I run my fan page, and um, I'm on Twitter, and I'm constantly looking for ways that I can reach out to people And I think you can probably attest to the fact that when you contact me on any of my social media pages, it may take me a day or two to respond, but I respond back and, you know, with open arms and try to be as as accommodating as I can to, you know, get back to people so that I can help them as much as possible. So that's really my goal. You know, um, I just really have this drive to help. You know, it's kind of in my nature. I've always been very service oriented and very community oriented. So, if I can, you know, speak or talk or write or, you know, I've done a radio interview, anything that I can do where I can reach out to people is really, um, really my goal and um, my hope to be able to carry this to a large audience. It was such a pleasure to interview Hattie. When I was speaking to her, I learned a lot. And then when I went back and listened to the interview, I found myself taking away a great deal of things and beginning to implement them into my own life. So my hope for you is that you also come away from this interview feeling just as impacted by her words as I did. So Hattie doesn't have a dedicated website, but you can connect with her on Twitter. Her username on Twitter is HattieMarie28. That's H-A-T-T-I-E-M-A-R-I-E-2-8. I will have the link to her Twitter page, her Facebook page, and also a link to the Huffington Post article that tells the story about her weight loss all on eatsleepmove.com. You can also go there to send me a message with your questions and comments. I'm happy to hear those as well. So I guess, you know, my final thought is that let's use Hattie as a role model Let's begin to make our health a priority and begin to value ourselves in our lives so much more. And finally, let's get outside and go for a walk. Thanks for listening to the Eat Sleep Move podcast. Find out more by visiting eatsleepmove.com.